Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Brandon and Tamara and choir. What an incredible morning we've had so far. My name is Jason Smith, and I'm one of the pastors here at OKC First Church. And our senior pastor's name is John Middendorf, and John is away in Ireland with his daughter Taylor, speaking at a conference. And we love our pastor and look forward to his return early this week. I think he's going to get here before Fall Fest. We have a guest preacher this morning, and his name is the, uh, Dr. Stephen Green, the W.N. King Chair of Theology at Southern Nazarene University. But he is not Dr. Stephen Green to us. He's Pastor Steve, and we love him. And we are grateful he is opening up the word to us this morning. Pastor Steve was our pastor from 1999 to 2007, and his imprints and fingerprints are on everything you see and hear and read and are. And we are grateful for his influence and his fingerprints among us and around us. And so we are so excited that he is filling this pulpit once again. We want to recognize, though, first, Elaine Green. Elaine, wave at us. We love you. And there's Mike and Morgan. Just, we want to welcome you. Welcome these guys. We love you guys. Love you, Elaine. Elaine was very influential in our women's ministries, taught a Sunday school class. And then that Harvest Dinner, you heard that announcement about? That was a tradition and practice of gratitude that she started for us uh, the first year she was here. And so her fingerprints are among us as well. But would you, as OKC First Church, recognizing the wonderful moment we're about to have as God has provided for us, Pastor Steve, to come preach, welcome him with a big welcome from OKC First Church. We love you, Pastor. Thank you. I love you, too. Thank you, Jason. That was sweet. Thank you. Well, thank you. I, uh, I am delighted uh, to be able to preach today when Pastor asked me, uh, a few weeks ago, if I would do that, I said, well, I would love to do that. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I, I'll tell you, uh, we really love you people. I mean, you are our family uh, here in Oklahoma, and uh, we really love you. And I'm excited about what God has done with the leadership of Pastor John and how he has shaped the life of this community and so though he's not here, you need to be able to tell him that. I, I tell him weekly, and if I can't get back to shake his hand and let him know that, I uh, text him a note or I say something to him. He is doing a fantastic job. And we are one of the very, 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 very few Nazarene churches that are honestly attracting young people. And I, I, I am thrilled with that. I am excited about that. And I'm kind of a funky old young person myself. <laughs> well, I'm going to jump into this text, this picture. This picture that is at least as bizarre as the new Star Wars movie that's going to come out. I mean, it is odd and strange, and so how do we get a hold of it? And, and I want you to know that in order for anything positive to happen with this particular sermon, that it is going to take more than this preacher, than this theology teacher. 
It's going to take the very power of the one that we're going to talk about to make that happen. And so before I even utter any words that could be called a sermon, would you bow your heads with me and let's ask God to help us today. Almighty God, before whom all hearts are open and all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit so that we may perfectly love you and adore you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. As I probed, how do I open this picture, this bizarre picture to you? I thought maybe the best way is to talk about another picture. Uh, A few years ago, in fact, quite a few years ago, about 10 or so, uh, I was privileged to be able to go to uh, Amsterdam for a theology conference. It was still while I was your pastor. And uh, it was a fantastic experience. But a part of what I took an opportunity to do while I was there is that I went to the, the museum for Vincent van Gogh. Now, if you know anything about van Gogh, he was odd. He was so strange. He ended up in an insane asylum. He cut his ear off. At least that's what the report is. He was as odd a character as you would ever see. But his paintings are unbelievable. As I walked through that museum, I was mesmerized by one. It wasn't spectacular in itself. It was a still life. But it was a painting of a table with a very, 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 very large Bible on it. And all you could make out about the Bible is that it was Isaiah 53. It was mushed together, smeared together, unable to be comprehended. In front of it was a small French novel. And the French novel in translation is this, The Joy of Life. I sat there on a bench for over an hour and I contemplated that particular uh, painting. It was overwhelming to me. And what I knew is that something had to be the backstory. It was too profound not to have a backstory. And so it was that backstory that I began to explore. And the backstory was this. Van Gogh grew up in a very religious, very pious family. In fact, his father was a pastor. And at a very, very early age, Van Gogh himself was a minister, a preacher. He preached among the very, very impoverished. He cared deeply about them. In fact, his paintings began by painting some of these impoverished folk that he was ministering to. But the church itself felt like that Van Gogh did not have the gifts and graces to pastor. And so they forced him in, drew him in, and removed that pastoral ministry from him. It began a slide for him, a slide from the clarity of the big book to its fuzziness. A slide to the fuzziness of a French novel 
to its clarity. Now, I say that to you because there is also a backstory in this text of chapter 4 of Revelation. The backstory is also one of desperation, of discouragement, of despair. It is a story that Pastor John has so powerfully and wonderfully, week after week after week, at least given us an angle on. It is a backstory about churches where people were persecuted, where people actually lost their lives. It was a story about combating heresy. It was a story about this church, this church that actually went so underground that the only safe place to worship was in the very cemeteries that we call the catacombs. It was a tragic place. In fact, it was so bad and it was so disconcerting that despair was breeding out everywhere. It's almost amazing that anything could survive that. There's another story. I am a big C.S. Lewis fan. Anybody ever like to read any of C.S. Lewis's stuff? You know, for no other reason, uh, even though I don't agree with all of his theology, the guy's a genius. Uh, you know, it was just incredible. And, and uh, so I've read through the Chronicles of Narnia over and over and over again. You know, I mean, I feel like almost the grandpa, you know, of Peter and Susan. And Edmund, I want to get him and just put him on my knee and spank him a couple times, to be honest with you. Oh, man, Turkish delight. What is wrong with that little guy? And then, honestly, a little loose. I mean, is there a sweeter? I mean, it's an incredible kind of thing. And one of the most amazing things to me is that that kind of discontent that moves toward despair is a part of those opening words in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Once this little girl had made her way through the wardrobe, she went past the firs to the fir trees, and finally she got right there in the midst of Narnia, and it was cold, it was frigid, it was unbelievable. In fact, the very words I would use is this, that Narnia itself was in the wintertime of discontentment that leads to despair. So it was. This kind of wintertime of discontentment that, in fact, these poor churches were a part of. What would they do? But you and I, we live in the wintertime of discontent. The silly season has started, right? I think that's the way pastor calls it. I like that. All the buffoons who want to be president, <laughs> they march up. And what is so amazing to me, they don't even tell us anymore what they want to do. They just tell us how bad the other people are. 
They are up and they are prancing around. And what is so intriguing about that time of discontentment is that in all of our lives we think if we can only find the right one, all will be well. But isn't discontentment somewhat legitimate? I mean, we live in a world where folk have their heads cut off, where there is a great migration going on. At least they say the greatest since World War II, where people now find themselves alone and lost. You and I find ourselves in a world that also, even here in the United States of America, and we can say, well, recession is over and all is well, and the stock market is up. But you and I know something, and everyone else does too, just like those people in Narnia, that there is this bifurcation between the rich and the poor, and they tell us, these sociologists, even now, that that bifurcation is the greatest since the 1920s. It breeds discontentment that leads to despair. But we also live in a world, you and I, you and I who are religious, even Christian, we live in a world where that discontentment has grown so deep. You realize right now we are at least in the beginnings of a post-Christian America a post-Christian America. And so what do we do? And again, we think, is it a politician? Is it a program? Is it a plan? Do we tax these people? Do we give away these resources to these people? Do we take these resources back and pour the money into these people? What do we do? And some of us in the church say, oh, if only we could get our theology right, or if only we could get our worship right, or if only we could get a leader right, where is our hope? The wintertime of discontentment. It is powerful. It is powerful. And so some of us just move the chairs around on a sinking ship. We say, oh, it's the Titanic. Move them here. Sing these kinds of songs. Have these kinds of programs. Elect these kinds of people. Put these kinds of signs up. But the wintertime of discontentment is upon us. Some of us are wondering, is there a place that we can go? Is there one we can talk to? Who has a plan that is so grand that in time this winter of discontentment will be done away with? And so we come rushing into places like this. We sing our hearts out. For we do intuitively know that the only one that can even remotely have a plan is the creator of the universe. 
And so here we are. We sing, we sing, we sing, we look, we look, we look, we go to conferences, we read books. Some of us read too many books. Is there a plan? And then something strange happens. Strange. Right in the middle of all of this, a door opens. A door opens. Now, you're saying, if a door opened for me, oh, Steve, I would be right there, baby. I'd bust through that door. I'd be ready to go. I'd have my notepad out or my laptop ready to roll. I would get every note that there was in that place. I would go through that door. It's not the first time a door opened. They're all the time opening, right? I mean, they opened, and it was a funny thing. I mean, think about the door. There was a bush one day that burned and talked. I call that a door. How about this one? All of a sudden, the guy is sleeping on a rock, probably knocked himself somewhat unconscious, Doc. And, and there he was, and the next thing you knew, he saw a ladder coming out of heaven. Angels going up, angels going down. I'd have had the laptop out ready. I need notes. You say, well, those are the only two. No. What about the guy when the two strangers showed up, the old guy that believed that he was going to be the, the father of a multitude of nations? He was sitting there in the tent, and these two strangers he had never met before start making all these promises. And the next thing you know, the very strangers that are talking or speaking the word of God fact, you can't tell the difference between them and God. These strangers, these doors, bushes, dreams like Joseph, and he ends up thrown into a pit and off to Egypt town he goes. Doors, blinded by a light on the way to persecute Christians. Doors. A guy engaged to be married and find out that the love of his life is pregnant and he knows it isn't his. And so he has a dream. I mean, any psychologist would tell you you want to dream good dreams, right? And this guy has a dream, and the dream says this, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Doors. But you say, those doors never happened for me. No. Maybe. Can you remember the last time that your heart was strangely warm? Maybe it was a song. Maybe it had nothing to do with religion, at least you thought. It was a hug, a handshake. It happened for me so many different times. Just a couple days, really, after my father died, my first child was born. When I held her in my arms, a door swung wide open. Doors. Doors. These doors are thin places in the universe. They're so thin. 
that you can walk right through them. These doors, you've been in them, right? A door. You've walked from there into here, and in this door, this means of grace, you experience dying with him and rising with him. This door, you've experienced it before as you line up so wonderfully on Sunday and you come marching, 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 marching toward a sacrament, a means of grace where he has promised in these very elements that he is among us. These doors... Let me tell you a story about a door for me. It was almost 41 years ago. I had graduated from what then was called Bethany Nazarene College. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was just in love with a redheaded girl back in Nashville. And really, I had some very simple desires in life. I wanted to marry her. I wanted to make enough money to have a pickup truck and a bass boat. (laughs) And that was about it. That's it. And so I went back to Nashville. I was living with my parents. I got a job for a manufacturing company called Washington, D.C. And what they made were big overalls. That's a cool thing. Except if that's all you do, it's not very cool at all. And, and I was working in Glasgow, Kentucky. I would drive almost two hours every day from Nashville to Glasgow, Kentucky. I was an assistant plant manager. I hated my job. But I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what it was about. Other than I want to pick up a truck, a bass boat, and I want to marry Elaine. Maybe not in that order. (laughs) But maybe it was in that order. Who knows? I was 23 for crying out loud. And so I was going up and back and up and back and being halfway, I guess, second in charge of this factory. There was a woman on the line who had a nervous breakdown. And, And it's before the days of anyone called a paramedic. You just called the hospital and they sent an ambulance. The ambulance used to look like hearses. You remember, anybody remember that? They were like these great big like station wagon looking things that looked like you put a coffin in. And, and they, the guys came out and they got her and they put her in a straight jacket and it was unnerving because we had just been through this engineering process to tell a group of women how to do a job better than they were doing it even though the people who were telling them had no idea how to do their job. I was one of those people. And after they took her off, I went to my office, and I sat there. I put my, hand, my face in my hands, and I was just overwhelmed. And one of the little line supervisors came back and came by my office. She looked in, and uh, she said uh, to me, I, I almost remember this like it was just yesterday, are you okay, honey? I said, no, I'm not okay. 
I'm not okay. And she said these words to me. She said, when are you going to do what you're supposed to do? (laughs) Now, she was a church Christ lady, and in Kentucky and Tennessee, I don't know if it's anywhere else, but in Kentucky and Tennessee, if you're Church of Christ, you know you're going to heaven, but if you're not, everybody else is not going to heaven. They're going to the other place. So what she was about to say makes absolutely no sense. And I was sitting there just despondent, and she said, what are you going to do when what you're, what you're, you know you're supposed to do? And I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. If anybody would tell me, I would do it. And she looked at me, and she said, well, honey, we all know. You're supposed to be a preacher. Boom. (laughs) Boom. A door opened. A door opened. I mean, it was wide, smack dab open. And I walked in that door. But you know what's so amazing about that is the opening of that door not only changed my life forever, it actually altered some of your lives because of a little Church of Christ lady who was a means of grace, who was an open door to a young kid who had no idea what he was doing. It goes on and on and on, doesn't it, these open doors? John Wesley didn't want to go to the altars gate meeting. You know that, right? He wanted to do something else, but he goes to the altars gate meeting, and what are they doing? They're doing something really dynamite. They are reading the preface to the co- Luther's commentary on Romans. I've read that preface before. There is nothing to be strangely warmed about. <laughs> but it was an open door for crying out loud. And his heart was strangely warmed. And all was different for him. So what do we do when we walk through the door? Right? Let me get this down. Get a selfie going on here. No. It is so odd and bizarre, the language can't describe it. So you just got lights and thunder and sounds and crazy people in there. You got even crazier things that aren't even people. I mean, you've got the whole created order in there doing odd things. And they are singing the oddest song. The oddest song. Now, what you don't do is go in and say, well, I'm not sure that's what kind of worship. (laughs) No, no, no. I prefer it a little different. I'll take a rain check on it. I mean, you've got all these weirdos in there, and they're just going crazy. And at first you think, I must be in a Pentecostal service. I know it is. <laughs> they're going nuts in there. You've got them circling around, and they're singing this song, holy, 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 and what that means is not some kind of moral perfection. That just means you are absolutely, utterly, completely different than all of us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who's coming. Holy. 
And when that kind of craziness starts on, everybody that has any sense of worthiness and authority that they've made up in their life, all of their degrees, all of their books, all the things they've said, all the sermons they've preached, all the money that they have accumulated, they take that stuff off of where everybody else sees it. They fall to the ground and they throw it at him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. You are worthy. And you walk out of there. And you forgot to take a note. And you haven't even taken a selfie. But you walk out of there different. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Aslan is on the move. You and I say it this way. The kingdom of God is at hand. We walk out of that place and we realize that this three-in-one God, this one-in-three God, this God who is creator and in the next chapter, this God who is redeemer, this God of ours whose name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he himself changes the wintertime of discontent. It is beginning to fall. As C.S. Lewis says again, Father Christmas shows up. (laughs) And he's got gifts. He's got a sewing machine for Mrs. Beaver. He's got a sword for Peter. Susan, she's got some cool gifts. A bow and an arrow, but the coolest gift is the horn. Whenever she blows it, help is on the way. Gifts are there. And he's got gifts for you and he's got gifts for me. And sometimes they're called courage. Sometimes they're called purity. Sometimes we say it this way, all things have passed away and all things are new. Whatever those gifts are, they are gifts of his. And though we can't take a picture and make it just right, we get up with a Star Wars event. But what we know is this, the world belongs to him. Now you're saying, Steve, wow, show me the door. I'm about to. In just a few minutes. You're going to stand. And I love the way Pastor does this. And you're going to form lines to the left. And then you're going to cup your hands. Because you're about to receive what you can't take, earn, manipulate. 
you're going to receive something that is only defined by the word amazing. This is the door. Not the only one. Those thin places, they're everywhere. In fact, the universe is thin. Everything is a means of grace. Everything can help us to see and walk in and fall on our knees and throw our crazy little bitty plastic crowns before him and cry out, worthy, worthy, worthy. So, with that being said, I want you to open your eyes and keep your ear very attuned. You may just see angels and hear crazy people crying out where you're going. I want to bless these elements, but Jason, I wish those who are going to help us would come now and that they would take their place. Let me ask blessing upon bread and upon cup. Most merciful God, we confess to you that we are not worthy to come to your table, but you invite us anyway. You invite us like you did your disciples, where you in fact started this whole meal. And the table now stretches from there all the way into your eternity. And we gather at that table table to be served by friends, pastors, but ultimately table to be served by you. We ask now that you will take these very common elements that we're about to partake of, that you would bless bread, and that by the miracle of your grace, your presence would go with that bread whereby as we eat of this bread, we come to experience profoundly you. We ask that you would take this cup and that you would bless it and that it would become also for us a part of this sacrament, this means of grace, whereby we experience the gracious, cleansing, life-giving blood as nothing other than your own. And so we give ourselves to you as we give these elements to you. And now, on the night that Jesus himself was betrayed, he took these elements and he blessed them. And then he redefined them. And he called the bread his body. And he called the cup, his blood. In a few moments, you are going to come and as pastor so beautifully says, with your hands cupped. We are serving the Eucharist today by intinction. You will be given a piece of bread and you are to take it. You are to dip it into the cup. 
and eat your full. Do it with eyes wide open. Do it listening for angels. For the Lord is near. Stand with me. Exit to your left. Please come forward.
most gracious God, you are good beyond our ability to describe. Not only are you from everlasting to everlasting, but your grace is from everlasting to everlasting. We confess to you today that though many of us have tried very hard, we have failed you this week. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lion Lamb, have mercy on us, forgive us. Help us, O oh God, to delight in your will and to walk in your ways. We thank you that it's not up to what we do, but ultimately up to what you have done and are doing that changes the very fabric of our winter time. Fall out our lives. Bring hope rather than despair. A deep sense of well-being rather than dissatisfaction. Help us to keep our eyes on the throne room, the control room, for we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. We continue in prayer, a few moments of intercessory prayer. We want to think about those who have come into this place this morning in a deep season like winter, perhaps a winter time of discontentment. Could be in their health, could be in their relationships, could be anything in their life where they would sense a coldness, a darkness, where they need the hope of God and an open door. And so if you are that person, continue to pray that prayer for God to open those doors. But an intercessory prayer, if you know of someone in a deep wintertime of discontentment, and it's been that season this week in Oklahoma, in these moments, pray for those people you know in your life opportunities you've given us as a church family to reach and to be in our neighborhood. Lord, we're grateful for the kids that come each and every day to our after-school kids club. Think about the kids who are going to be reached this Wednesday night during our annual fall fest. Lord, we ask that you would reach them and bring them and 
bring us to these moments, especially this walk through the Bible on Wednesday, that, Lord, there might be some thin places, some open doors between heaven and earth where a child hears and experiences love and grace in your story in an amazing way. Lord, would you be with us this Wednesday and prepare our own hearts for these moments. We are so grateful for this event in the life of our church. And Lord, may that event for some people this year be that thin place between heaven and earth. God, where a life might be changed. Oh, Jesus, give us the courage in these moments to even have uh, the audacity to pray for our enemies whether that's worldwide against a nation or in our own home, in our school, in our city. Call us, God, to be your disciples who follow after you. In all we do and all that we live, to live by a prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. But first, we want to pray for that person whose heart is heavier than all of our hearts person that may have gathered in this place with no hope, just full of despair and in that deep season of winter time of discontentment. So God, we ask that you would come to them now. And can we all pray for that one person whose heart is heavier than all of our hearts? Together, God, shape and form us after your people to be a people of this prayer. We're going to pray this morning using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 